Hi, I'm William Chamberlain of the Popular Materials Department. Today, we have an interview with cinematographer Jack Green. Mr. Green is a longtime collaborator of Clint Eastwood. He has worked on such movies as Bird, The Bridges of Madison County, and Unforgiven. Jack Green was also the director of photography of Serenity, which will be playing Thursday, June 11th at 5.45 p.m., at the Downtown Public Library in the main auditorium as part of our Science Fiction Summer Film Festival. Now, to the interview. You began working in a portable darkroom and experimenting with your father's old cameras at the age of nine. Could you elaborate on what your father did and his influence on you to become a cinematographer? Well, sure. My father was uh, a barber. Actually, before that, he had started in the post-vaudeville dinner uh, entertainment circuit as as an entertainer, MC dancer, with my mother. And they had a a lovely dance routine and went all over the United States entertaining with people like Donald O'Connor, Martha Ray, various similar entertainers. When my dad retired from that, he went to cutting hair as a barber and moved around a lot, finding places to make a living. And his hobby all the while was still photography and wherever he went he would make one of the bathrooms into a dark room always temporary of course because it always had to be made back into a bathroom when after we were done anyway at about age nine he came to the opinion that i was able to join him in the dark room when he was working in there so i would go in with him and he would let me make little test strips and and uh, i would put whatever he was working on through the chemicals which were usually kept in the bathtub it's a three-chemical process. You have to go through the developer. You have to then wash it and put it in a stop bath, and then you do a final wash and fix it in a, another chemical. So he let me do that, and I had great fun doing it. Finally, after a few times of doing this, he made a little contact printer for me out of little pieces of one-by-six wood and light bulb and opalized glass and I could make my own contact prints, and then soon he let me have a camera, and I would go out and take my pictures. I would bring them back. I would develop the negative. Then I would make contact prints, and all of this in a bathroom converted into a temporary darkroom. He instilled an an enormous passion for imagery, and and, uh, by the time I was 12 or 13, I had my own camera. He loaned me his all hand-me-down cameras, and so I went out with uh, little box cameras and took pictures and just had a a wonderful time. And I had this wonderful romance with the darkroom and imagery. And to this day, the smell of vinegar brings wonderful memories back to me because vinegar smells like the stop bath, uh, which is acetic acid. When he did retire from the post-Vaudeville circuit, he, as I said, became a barber. Then one day he and my uncle started buying barbershops in Westlake Daly City, California. And I was going through high school and I came upon my junior year in high school and uh, he asked what I was going to do after I graduated from high school. I said, I didn't know. And he said, well, why don't you come work in the family business? And I agreed. And so I started barber college in the summer between my junior and senior year of high school and then continued uh, in barber college all the way through my senior year of high school. I graduated uh, from barber college 10 days before I graduated from high school. Three weeks after I graduated from high school, I started working in one of the uh, barbershops that my father and my uncle owned. I did that for a number of years, continuing my still photography all the while as a passion and 
kept trying to find ways to get into still photography as a as a way of making a living. That wasn't working for me, so I stayed as a barber. Then I turned 21. They asked me to, they opened a brand new barbershop, and they asked me to manage it. All of the barbershops were uh, six-chair barbershops, and they owned five of them. I was managing the most recent one when a customer came in that uh, was a cinematographer, and I would cut his hair. By the way, his name is Joe Deves. He was an ex-military uh, or combat motion picture cameraman and retired out of that and then started working in San Francisco Bay Area as a freelance 16-millimeter cameraman. And we would talk every time he came in for a haircut. I would chat his ear off about how I loved still photography and we would compare notes, and, and I'd cut his hair for six, eight months when I worked up the nerve to ask him if, if I could come watch him work. And he said, well, rather than come watch me work, why don't you come help me work? So there I did. I went off, and he brought the equipment home with him, invited me up to his house. His wife cooked dinner for my, at that time, girlfriend, soon-to-be wife. We would sit around after dinner, and he would teach me how to load the magazines, how to put lenses in, on and off the camera. Then I went to work with uh, the next day, and we uh, it was wonderful. And, and I fell again in love with photography, but from a different perspective. This is in motion picture photography. Now I saw an avenue of creativity that took advantage of my still photography background and, and made it into a motion picture photography background. By the way, I was working as an assistant cameraman. He's the, that's the person that does the loading of the magazines, uh, unloading of the film out of the magazines, uh, changing of lenses, and setting up of the camera so that the cameraman can shoot with the camera. I did that for five years in San Francisco and then got a job opportunity in Los Angeles. I quickly took advantage of and moved in 1968 to Los Angeles and started working for a company called Westcam. Westcam is an aerial photography piece of equipment. It's a vibration-isolated, gyro-stabilized, remotely-directed camera. I went around the world supporting that piece of equipment for a couple of years, and then they went out of business, and I went to work for Tyler Camera Systems. Tyler Camera Systems is a another aerial piece of equipment, only it's not stabilized or gyro-stabilized or any of that. It's just balanced and is, uh, shoots out the side door of a helicopter. I worked there for about two years, and then I went out freelancing as an assistant cameraman, and that was in about the year 1973, 4, and 5 in that area. And then in 1975, I moved up to camera operator, and that began my first contact with Clint Eastwood on the gauntlet. I became the B camera operator. Then he made me on Every Which Way But Loose. He made me the A camera operator, and then I was his camera operator for 14 pictures. And then uh, in 1985, he moved me up to director of photography on Heartbreak Ridge. And, of course, all of the while, I'm working along with Clint Eastwood, uh, over 30 pictures over 30 years. I also worked for a lot of other uh, directors and uh, cinematographers and enjoyed a, a wonderful career to the point where I'm happily doing the job that just satisfies every nerve in my body. You mentioned you were a camera operator. Your first job was on Fighting Mad, which was produced by Roger Corman. Do you have any memories about working with Roger Corman? I sure do. It was a, a typical Roger Corman picture, and, and everybody did every job. The director of photography on that was Michael Watkins, and to this day we are very 
close friends. And of course, the whole experience of working on a uh, Roger Corman picture means you put incredibly long hours in and you work as a camera assistant. And when you draw, bring out other cameras, you sometimes work as a camera operator and Roger Corman just expects it. And you work for almost nothing. But if it weren't for Roger Corman, there are a lot of people in this industry that wouldn't get a start. So he's, um, he's pretty vital to the industry. You were a camera operator on Honky Tonk Man, directed by Mr. Eastwood. Some of that movie was filmed in Nashville. Was Nashville a good backdrop? It's funny how this industry presents you with recurring cycles of experiences. Uh, Nashville was wonderful, and working in the Grand Ole Opry was almost like breathtakingly wonderful to have that experience and, and be able to say in your lifetime that you actually photographed a piece of business in the Grand Ole Opry was wonderful. But more than that, a fellow that worked as an extra there, and, and because I knew a fellow by the name of Bob Boatman, who was a director of Hee Haw, and I, I, they wanted a couple of extras in the audience to act as newspaper guys. So I said, hey, use Bob Boatman as one of them. So they got him, and he <laughs> was lucky enough to be able to spend some time talking to an old friend. Now, Bob Boatman was the camera operator on that very first piece of equipment I was telling you about, the Westcam aerial vibration-isolated remote-controlled camera. And he was the first camera operator that I worked with with that piece of equipment. And now he had become the director of Hee Haw, working and living in Nashville. And then I was able to see him and visit with him all the time we were working in Nashville, which makes the experience of being in this business so special. You frequently worked with the acclaimed cinematographer Bruce Surtees. What did you learn from collaborating with him on those many movies? Bruce Surtees was a very, very unusual cinematographer in that he felt that the lighting was done with brush strokes and that your set was a canvas and that he would use his body like a like a painter and his arms like a giant paintbrush and he would describe to his gaffer, the gaffer is the head electrician and in charge of how the lighting is to be placed. He would describe to his gaffer in great gestures with his arms and say, I would like a splash of light right here, put a little color in it, and I'd like another splash of light over here with this color in it. He was, I mean, he put romance in, and art into photography like I, no one I'd ever worked with before. And he worked also in, in a vein that was very dark and moody. And most of the pictures Clint was doing at that time tightrope and a couple of the others were pretty dark material and so he this was with Clint's uh, you know what he likes too he likes film noir Clint does and Bruce Surtees is really really good at making film noir images and film noir uh, is a a way of lighting with uh, no fill light you light with just the key lights or just hard light and there is no fill so your shadows are very dark if there isn't any light on it, you just don't see it. It's very effective, and especially on motion pictures where you're trying to create mystery. Just curious, you mentioned Tightrope, and Richard Tuggle was credited as the director of the movie. But I've read where Clint Eastwood was really the director of the movie. Any truth to that? You know, 
Clint would always lend his uh, support to the director. I don't think he's capable of just taking it away from a director to take that job away. I mean, he respects that job way too much. Because Richard Tuggle was a new director, he needed a lot of advice. And he got a lot of it from me, and he got a lot of it from Bruce, and he got a lot of it from Clint. Of course, Clint, being a very strong director, knew what he wanted. So it ended up being that uh, Richard Tuggle would pretty much do as guided by Clint. But Richard Tuggle still earned the director title. Your debut as a director of photography was on Eastwood's Heartbreak Ridge. How did you make the leap from camera operator to director of photography? When he was getting ready to do Honky Tonk Man, he actually invited me to to photograph as director of photography. That could have been my first feature movie as a director of photography. I asked him to forgive me but I would need a little more time as a camera operator to be ready to move up to director of photography. He invited Bruce back to photograph Honky Tonk Man, and I stayed camera operator for that. Then fast forward to Heartbreak Ridge, and Heartbreak Ridge came up right after Bruce and I had worked together on Beverly Hills Cop. Now, Beverly Hills Cop proved to be a very a wonderful film to work on with Bruce, and and we did a a good job. I really liked the movie. We got really close because it wasn't on a Clint Eastwood movie. It was a totally separate project and became very close friends. And at the end of Beverly Hills Cop, Bruce went to Clint and said, okay, Jack is ready to move up to director of photography. That was so uh, such a wonderful self-sacrifice on Bruce's part that he talked himself out of a job for me to support me in my effort to become a director of photography. And then, of course, Clint did invite me to photograph a Heartbreak Ridge for him. Of the many movies you and Mr. Eastwood have collaborated on together, which do you feel represents your best work? The picture Bird was probably the accumulation of all of our skills and all of our likes about what makes film best in one picture. And I think because we both have, both Clint and I had an enormous passion for jazz, having been both of us born and raised in the Bay Area. I used to go to all of the same jazz nightclubs that Clint would go to, only I was 10 years younger, so it was 10 years later. However, most of the jazz entertainers were the same. And so I had a great love and passion for jazz, just like he did. And working on that picture, having being surrounded by all of this wonderful music all of the time and all of the jazz musicians that we brought in and the, the chance to photograph one of my jazz heroes even though he was a a troubled man he was such a wonderful tenor saxophone player charlie parker was his name and bird was about his nickname and i think that was the first one where i actually felt that i could say i knew what i was doing and that was a pretty much a film noir picture too Bird was the first one that I actually was able to put together a handsome-looking picture. And then Unforgiven, of course, is the one that I got a lot of recognition for because it really caught a lot of people's eye. Nominated for an Oscar on in nine categories, including cinematography. So between those two movies, I was able to put together two totally different looks, but I felt like a, a journeyman cinematographer in, in both of those, where I, I knew what I was doing, I was going to get what I wanted to get, and, and that's when you feel most fulfilled is when you're um, you're able to in your mind imagine an image and then actually be able to get it practically onto film. I would have never pictured Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep in the same movie, but it works. How did Miss Streep work with Clint Eastwood the actor and the director? 
I remember the very first day she came on the on the job, and she was so nervous. Meryl Streep it, it was just very nervous about working with Clint. She just had heard so many of the other actors that had worked with him and heard so many rumors. And she said, well, is it true that he goes on, you know, prints the first take, and, and the first take is usually the first rehearsal? And, and of course, we all told her that, uh, yes, that was the truth. And, of course, when... Um, when Clint came to the set and, and Meryl was there, he did exactly what he always does, and that is roll camera on the rehearsal, print the rehearsal, which is your first take. You get to see the scene for the first time. And she said, is, is that all it's going to be? <laughs> and she, it took her about two or three days, but she absolutely fell in love with the process of, one, he doesn't say action, and he doesn't say cut. He says, okay, Anytime you're ready now, or he'll say, okay, let's begin, or some other way of uh, disarming an actor about when they can begin at their own pace. And generally, we roll the camera early, and camera and sound, we roll them early. So we know that when the actor is ready, they'll begin and it'll, the camera will be rolling because there is no, like, assistant director yelling, okay, roll cameras and uh, action. There is none of that on a Clint Eastwood set. It's a very quiet, calm set. Actors and Meryl Streep certainly fell in love with that after a few days of experiencing it. On the movie Serenity, when you're on the spaceship for the first time, there's one continuous take that reintroduces the main characters. How did you achieve this? That was a steady cam shot that began in the cockpit of the Serenity spaceship. We follow the commander of the spaceship all the way through the spaceship. Mark Moore was my Steadicam camera operator. Halfway through the take, because we have a 400-foot magazine and it's about a nine-minute take, we do a, a wipe through a piece of set and then we move to the other half of the set because the spaceship couldn't be built in, in one piece. It was built in two pieces on the same stage. And so then we would pan exactly through a, a duplicate piece of that same set pan through that and then continue the move through the rest of the set all the way to the end and into the uh, big storage area where he concludes the scene it's where the the little mule spacecraft is kept and such like that anyway it took it took about nine takes to get it i mean we there were like three or four good ones but the number nine was i think the, the true winner on that one and it was just practice. Uh, we had to practice it a few times, and then we had to have the camera step onto a Chapman crane, and the Chapman crane takes him up to the close-up of Summer Glau. Her, her name is River in the movie, and it's a close-up of her face listening to the dialogue that had been happening below. So it was choreographed in the same day that we shot it. Uh, we just It was lit over a period of getting ready for that. It was lit over a period of two days, but we did rehearse and shoot it in the one day. On Twister, you worked with Bill Paxton, and then you made your debut as a director in the sadly neglected movie Traveler. How did that all come about? Bill and I became friends, and we would talk often about different films we liked. And one day he came to the lunch table on while we were working on Twister, and he put a script in front of me, and he said, uh, here, here's a script. Read this and tell me what you think of it. So I read it. It took me uh, just that evening to read it. I came back uh, at lunch table the next day and I said, I really enjoy this script. It's quite a, a buddy romp and I, and I really enjoy that. And he said, well, I have an idea. Why don't you photograph it and direct it and I'll produce it and star in it 
and together we'll get the money to up and and uh, make this movie. That was how that came about, and, and that was after right after Twister. And I don't know if you know the rest of the story, but the two days before Twister ended, I, I was injured on the set and had to be air ambulanced uh, back to Los Angeles. I had a back injury, so we were both worried whether it was going to interfere with the making of our movie. I told the doctor I had to had to go to work on this movie, and he said, "Well, just take it easy. Don't lift anything heavy, and don't bounce around a lot." And so, of course, I violated all of those things and and went off, and we scouted for Traveler. While we were scouting, we, we cast Mark Wahlberg as our co-star and cast all of the rest of the movie with Juliana Margulies and, and a few of the other characters, James Gammon, Luke Askew, and uh, was a great cast. So we just took us about six weeks after, after we made sure that we had the money and everything else. We were shooting it about eight weeks after uh, my back was injured on Twister. We were in production on Traveler, and it was uh, it was a fun one. Uh, working with Bill Paxson, he's such a people person, and he's such a good crew person. He loves to get along with everybody, and I and I really enjoyed that. On Traveler, you were both director and cinematographer. Could you talk about having both hats on and the complexities of doing both jobs? The process for me of directing a movie was on Traveler, of course, was brand new. But I had been gaining an awful lot of experience working with Clint because every time he was out in front of the camera, I became his eyes and ears. Over the years, we had a bunch of little shorthand things where I would tell him what was going on in the scene if he was in it and couldn't watch the other actors. I would watch them carefully for him and even as his operator, I would do that. And then when I became his director of photography, I would still do it. Uh, Clint would invite me into the screening room and the editing room and point out lots and lots of things about what directing was about. And he became my directing mentor. So that by the time I got to do Traveler, I, I was actually an old hand at directing in some ways so that it didn't frighten me. The one thing that I wanted to make sure that I didn't do was be distracted by the uh, cinematography to the detriment of working with the actors. So I really focused on working with the actors. I would set a look for the scene and go away and leave my gaffer and to, to help to get the lights roughed in. I would set the camera up and let the operator choreograph the camera. Then I would go sit with the actors and we would talk about the scene and I'd rehearse them and then then we'd all get back together. I'd go to the set, tune up the lighting, tune up the camera movement and then bring the actors in and tune up the actors. And it really, really worked well and it made us really efficient. We stayed on schedule all through the picture. Because we had some weather problems, I went a day over uh, schedule, but it was still on on budget. And the the whole experience was just so, it was another one of those moments where you get your every nerve ending in your body is at work. And your every cell that you have in your brain is at work making, because you're, of course, working way over your normal capacity. So it was good fun. You were the director of photography on The 40-Year-Old Virgin. And the director of the movie was Judd Apatow. What's his working methods like? I'm not sure what his working methods are like now because the, the, at that time he hadn't been working as a director for very long. I don't remember if that was his first one. I think it was his first one as a, as a director. He was very, very serious director. Comedy is really business for them, for a lot of the 
comedy crowd that do comedies on a regular basis. It's, and they take it very seriously. And Judd Apatow took the whole thing very, very seriously. And, and though there was, we enjoyed the humor on in during the scenes, it was still, um, that's funny, isn't it? And you would talk about how to make it more funny. And, but he would roll film and get an actor running on dialogue and then he'd say okay make it make it your own now make it something you would add to it so he'd get them to ad lib and then that's where an awful lot of the humor came out was where he would direct them to ad lib i thought he did a really terrific job and the movie proved it it earned an awful lot of money and steve carell of course made both of them jump to the top of the charts after that picture I have a friend, Michael Lusk, who works here at the Public Library, and he loves Pale Rider. Could you tell me one Pale Rider story, or I'll never be forgiven? Pale Rider was photographed by Bruce Surtees, and of course it was a, more of a continuation of the man with no name or his sort of Shane character that is almost is an angel sent from heaven to save these people. And so this was his character again. And working on a Western is more enjoyable than you can imagine because most of it's shot exterior and very little interior. And most pictures are, are the opposite. So you get to spend all this time out of doors, and it's much more invigorating to be out of doors. The process of working on a Western with Clint is so different. He has so many shows behind him where he's been uh, in Westerns that he's so experienced with horses. And by the way, he is allergic to horses. So after he spends a, a few minutes riding one or so, he gets all stuffed up and has to uh, take a uh, antihistamine to clear out his stuffiness. It's funny that a man famous for Westerns is allergic to horses as though I found that humorous. Not for him, of course. He just made him stuffy and made him antsy about being around the horses. But it was just, um, I shot the aerials for it, and it was a great experience, just a fun one to work on. What are you working on now? This is a picture for MGM. It's a picture called Hot Tub Time Machine. It's a romantic comedy romp with four buddies who find their way back into the 1980s through a hot tub experience and they try to mend what they had become was as in the 2009s or 2010s that they had become cynical uh, angry and bitter and bad marriages and bad relationships with family but they find themselves thrown back into the 80s where they're graduated from high school and and it puts them in a uh, a romp around when they were younger and they try to mend their uh, ways so they can get back to the modern 2009 with not so, so many bad uh, experiences and being so cynical and having better relationships with family and so forth. John Cusack, good film. Steve Pink is a director. It's going to be a very funny movie. I would like to thank Jack Green for taking time from his new film to do an interview with us. Mr. Green has also taped a brief introduction to Serenity, which will be shown Thursday, June 11th at 5.45 p.m. at the Downtown Public Library at 615 Church Street in the main auditorium. Hope to see you there.